0: Hello there, it's Reverend Tasha Blackburn with another episode of Sunday School Shorthand. We are working our way through what's called the great ends of the church, the great aims and goals and reasons for the church's existence in this world. And we are getting to uh, maybe the first reason that people think of when they think of church, the one that is most explicitly the work of the church And that is to worship. Uh, That is to worship uh, Jesus Christ uh, and in his name and to his glory. So I want to share with you uh, some of the underpinnings of what we believe is happening uh, in this goal. And to do that, I want to start by reading a few verses from Revelation chapter 4. John, the writer of this Revelation, is having a vision. And in that vision, he is swept away uh, to heaven, and a spirit speaks to him and and opens a door to him and says, come on in, Uh, let me show you what's going on around here, basically. And so here, I'm going to read about what he sees. This is in chapter four. At once I was in the spirit, and there in heaven stood a throne with one seated on the throne and the one seated there looks like jasper and carnelian and around the throne there is a rainbow that looks like an emerald around the throne are 24 thrones and seated on the thrones are 24 elders dressed in white robes with golden crowns on their heads coming from the throne are flashes of lightning rumbles and peals of thunder and in front of the throne burn seven flaming torches Around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes, in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second like an ox, the third like the face of a human face, and the fourth like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes, all around and inside. Day and night, without ceasing, they sing, Holy, 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 the Lord God the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall before the one who is seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, singing, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created." Okay, as I mentioned, so John has this vision, and in it he is shown uh, what is happening in heaven. And there is a lot happening in heaven, um, thunder and lightning and flame and a rainbow like an emerald and 24 elders and these four living creatures with all kinds of wings and eyes and everything. But don't get distracted. Uh, what is happening at its core in heaven is worship, Uh, worship of the one on the throne. And in fact, um, they're singing a hymn uh, in heaven, and we even sing versions of this hymn today in our worship. Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. We sing uh, those phrases uh, even today. So I want to share with us, um, precisely from this kind of text, is where some of our Eastern Orthodox Christian uh, brothers and sisters, so Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, um, that uh, vein of Christianity, this is something we learn from them. Uh, They uh, look at passages like this in Scripture, and they say, you know, what is happening in worship when you walk in a sanctuary, when you go into a church, it may be empty, it may be silent in there, Uh, But worship is permanently and continually going on in that place, whether you can hear it or see it. Uh, And so what we do when we come into worship is we simply join the chorus. We add in for that period of time our own worship. And in that way, we join heaven in the work that heaven is always doing. We just get the opportunity to join them for a while. What a beautiful vision of worship. What a beautiful description of what can happen for us and to us and and alongside us when we go to worship. We are joining heaven there. And uh, when we sing, um, if we listen carefully, you know, maybe we can hear, especially in our hearts, um, the song we're already joining. Sometimes uh, in our church... We will reiterate this point and reinforce it when we have communion. And we will say something at the communion table like, here at this table is the meeting place of heaven and earth. Think about that. At this table in our worship, when we have communion together, is the meeting place of heaven and earth. We join the elders there. We join the living creatures there. We join the saints who have gone before us. Uh, who taught us the faith. Here at the table is the meeting place of all of that. So in worship, we are uh, joining heaven's work. We are drawing near to the one on the throne. And in doing that, we are most ourselves. Uh, This is why sometimes uh, we can hold it together during the week. I don't know if you've ever had this example in your life. I know I have, where all week long I can keep myself busy enough, focused enough, distracted, at the same time distracted enough, that I'm okay. And then the minute I go and I sit in a sanctuary, uh, I take the moment to be quiet, to be still. There is no more hiding. It is all honesty. I have to be honest with who I am and who I'm not, what I was in the week, what I wasn't, what I'm facing, what I can't face. Many, many people find the same experience when they come to worship. There is no choice but to be most truly who you are. Um, Augustine, um, from the 300s, all the way back from the 300s, an early church leader, he has this quote, which I bet you've heard the tail end of at least. He says, God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And that happens in worship, doesn't it? We, um, we start to rest in God, and that's when uh, we know who we truly are and what we face. So as we consider worship, I want to take a moment to talk about two different forms of worship, very broad categories. You're going to know by their names. There's private worship and public worship. I told you, broad categories. And private worship is all the things you can think about. It's prayer, it's Bible study, it's song, it's silence, it's even acts of service, um, caring for someone else. That's a form of worship. So we can do all of those things privately. And then public worship is all those same things, uh, prayer and Bible study and silence and song and um but it's together. It's in a congregation. So what can happen in our lives is we know we need a balance of both. We need both in our lives. Here's an example of what happens if we have no private worship time in our week. Um, This happens so often. Someone will come into church and they'll get there, say, 10 minutes early. And it's like they're, it's, it's like they're almost gasping um for breath they are so hungry and thirsty uh for time with Jesus for time in silence for that prayer and that and that song and that silence they're so desperate for it that they're gasping and they'll sit there and then they hear someone a pew over talking about uh you know sharing a good recipe they found this last week or uh, that how their kids are gonna come in in two weeks and they're chatting about it. And this is the person who often is like, either they say it out loud or they say it inside themselves, shh, would everybody just be quiet? I'm here to worship. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with that. But when it happens to you, uh, when it happens to any of us, it's a signal that, oh my goodness, I have come gasping to worship today. I need more private worship opportunities in my life. I need, even if all it is, is that I take 10 deep breaths in and out each morning um, and and meditate on the word thank you or on the word help, uh, even if it's something as simple as that, I need that in my life because I am waiting too long in between and I'm gasping. Here's the flip side. If we have only private worship in our lives and no public, no worship in a congregation or with other people, then what we're in danger of is slipping into a worship and a faith that really fits us to a T. Now, that may not sound bad at all, um, but what happens is um, I am going to make God into something that is very accessible to me fits into my pocket and never demands much of me Uh, i'm going to do that because i am me (laughs) and that's what i like to do Uh, there's a a semi-famous story about this um, when a man was interviewing people who said they were spiritual but not religious and he interviewed a woman named sheila and she said you know i'm not going to go to church anymore Um, because I don't need those structures. I don't need that institution. I have cobbled together, basically, uh, my own set of faith markers and my own set of faith practices, and I call it Sheilaism. I call it Sheilaism. Well, there is nothing inherently wrong um, with Sheila, but she is human. And what we are going to do is we are only going to give ourselves the comforting passages We are only going to give ourselves the passages that let us off the hook, right? Because that's just who we are. Uh, And nobody's going to slam a minor prophet down their own throats. We have to come to public worship for that. We have to come to group and congregational-wide worship to um, feel the rub sometimes. So we need both. We need private worship and we need public worship. So as we continue, um, I want you to think about as we have a conversation about my, I'm going to share with you the reason my tradition worships the way they do. Um, and while I do that, I want you to think about the different worship services you've been in and the different styles and what they've been like. Um, where do you feel most comfortable? Where do you feel more en- most energized in your faith? And maybe where do you feel that rub um, that makes you sit up and take notice? Is it um, a s- sort of style that starts off with quite a few minutes of singing and then scripture and preaching and an altar call? Um, is it uh, a service where there really isn't very much preaching and there's more the sacraments and symbols? Is it a service that's mostly quiet um, with only a little bit of speaking at the end? There, All of these exist. Uh, in the wide river of Christianity, and so think about those and your experiences with those various types of worship um, over your lifetime. As I share with you, um, I'm I come from the Presbyterian tradition, and I serve in the Presbyterian tradition. And even Presbyterians, um, most of us do not know why we worship in the structure in which we worship, and there actually is a reason, and I'm going to read for you uh, where we get it here. It comes from the call of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah was a prophet in Old Testament times, and he um, received his call in a rather melodramatic way, and I'm going to read it for you here. It's in Isaiah 6. He goes into the sanctuary, first of all, a large sanctuary, and this is what he sees. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. That's winged angels. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Does any of this sound like revelation from before? The pivots on the threshold shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke, and I said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, I live among a people of unclean lips, yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs, and the seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips... Your guilt has departed, your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. That's it. That's Isaiah's call. And that is what my tradition bases its worship service on. So when you think about what happened when Isaiah walked in that sanctuary, I love that description where the hem of God's robe, the very tail end of God's robe, is filling the sanctuary. Imagine that for a moment. Um, The awesome nature of that, literally awesome uh, nature of that. And that's where our worship begins. It begins, you go into this sacred place and the very first thing is praise and adoration. Uh, for God's presence there, God's presence in your life, God's presence in this world, that even the hymn of God's robe uh, won't fit in this room. Uh, So we begin uh, where those seraph began. They're singing all of this praise to God as they fly um, with those six wings, just like we read about in Revelation. They sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, praise and adoration. And that's where our worship service begins. And then for those who are not used to our structure, they can be a little surprised by what comes next, but we get it directly from Isaiah. First, it begins with adoration of God's presence. And then the very next thing that happens is when you draw near to God, you think, oh my goodness, the contrast is striking. That might be one way to put it. Isaiah puts it with, woe is me. (laughs) Uh, I am very much human and you are very much not. And so that's where we move in our, in our worship service. We go from praise and adoration to confession. Now that I'm in this sanctuary, Lord, now that I have taken a moment to be the most honest, my, most honest self I have to bring, I cannot help but in that honesty confess. So that's what we do. Then in Isaiah's call, what happens is one of those seraphs brings a red hot coal over to Isaiah and burns his lips with it. We don't do that. Okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna calm down. Remain calm. We don't burn people with live coals in our church. I mean, except for like special occasions. Ha ha ha. Uh, but what we do is we move to uh, we read this as um, this happens so often in the Old Testament uh, where a prophet is uh, their lips are burned or they're forced to eat a scroll. Or um, their mouths are opened. Um, and all of that is to receive the word of God. S- to be sealed in it. Um, and seared by it. Both sealed and seared. And that is our time then when we, we read from scripture. We hear the sermon for the day that's based on scripture. Um, and also, we. that's when we take communion or are baptized. So we are sealed and sealed. And seared by both word and sacrament. Um, And hopefully sealed in it, as in kind of the comfort and the renewal of it. And also seared by it. We're back to that public worship part, right? Where I want to be changed by this. I want this to demand something of me and of my life. So I'm both sealed in it and seared by it. And that's where our worship moves. Then... um, He hears a voice from the throne saying, uh, who will I send? Who will go for us? And that's where we move in our worship. We go to a time of response. And that's when we have the prayers for the world that we offer. We have um, an offering time where we offer the gifts of our time and talent and treasure. That's where uh, we might uh, recite a creed together. Or the Lord's prayer together, Um, this is what I believe, this is how I live my life, this is our time of response. And then finally we end um, where Isaiah ends here in this call. Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And so we end our worship services with being sent out in the Lord's name to spread uh, his peace and his gospel message into the world. And we go out uh, with our benediction, with a charge um, to remind ourselves, this is how I go out, this, in, this is in whose name I go out, and then also with a blessing. This is how I'm going to do it. I can't do it on my own. I need the blessing um, of the Lord to go out. So that's how we uh, do our worship service. We begin with adoration and praise. We move to confession. Then we are sealed and seared in the word and the sacrament, And then we respond with our own lives, and then we go out in the Lord's name. That's how we do it. Now, if you're Presbyterian and watching this, um, don't worry if you're not Presbyterian and watching this, because they're just as surprised as you are, I'm just going to say. But that's how we do it. I want to share just a couple of things before we end today. Um, about those movements of worship. First, I'd love it if you would think about for a moment in your life, what, which of those movements, if that's um, understandable to you, if that's, if that's something you're used to, which of those movements in worship have been most meaningful to you um, right now or in your life? If those movements are not as familiar to you, again, think back to those worship experiences you've had. Where are those touchstones Um, that that has been the powerful moment for you. That has been uh, where heaven met earth for you. uh, And you knew uh, you were joining in the chorus of heaven. It's a really good thing to spend a few minutes to think about this week. Um, Where in worship have you been moved? And where in worship do you feel the congregation um, is moved and draws closer to the Lord? Uh, in that movement. Finally, uh, as a recap of, of what we've talked about, I want to return to Revelation 4 for just a moment. When we consider these great ends of the church, as we're doing in these six weeks, these great aims and goals of the church, you know, most of them can be done by some other organization. Some other organization can nurture people. Some other organization um, can even, um, uh, offer social justice issues, right? We know this, but this is the aim and the goal and responsibility that is solely the churches to worship God. Um, if we don't do it, if the church doesn't do it, uh, who does it? Um, heaven does it. Heaven will continue. Um, but here on earth, who does it if not the church? And so this is our great calling And the single most important thing that we do is that we worship. And if you remember back to Revelation 4, you know, here are the three main reasons we worship. We see it happening to those 24 elders, to those four living creatures, um, even in that place. First, we go uh, to cast our crowns. That's why we come to worship. That's why we participate. Just as those elders, we read that in Revelation they cast their crowns. Um, before the throne, Um, they learn in worship the truth about themselves, who they are and who they aren't. They learn the truth about the world, what it is, what it can provide for them, what it cannot. And they learn the truth about the Lord, what he is Lord of, what we are Lord, not Lord of. And, And when we do that, we can't help but cast our crowns. That doesn't just mean we offer our burdens to the Lord because a crown is uh, pretty darn nice, right? Sometimes in worship, what we come to do is actually to even give of what we are most fond of. We need to give that over too. Our favorite virtue, (laughs) we also uh, lay before the throne. So first, we come to worship to cast our crowns and to be most honest and true about who we are what the world is, and who God is. Second, we come to worship to be changed. Um, I didn't read it for you, but right after that in Revelation 4, they're all worshiping around the throne. And everyone, the 24 elders and the living creatures, they think that they're going to see the Lion of Judah appear on that throne. That's who they're calling for. Oh, Lion of Judah, come to the throne. And then when it is unveiled who is actually on the throne... It's a slaughtered lamb. So we come to worship. We may have come all week wishing for that lion. And that lion's great, but worship will change us. Worship will force a change on us. us sometimes in our faith, we have to be reminded, I want power in the way I see it. And what I get is a slaughtered lamb. I get Christ as he really is. Um, Not as the world would have me believe. Just like Isaiah, you know, he is burned. Um, We come to worship for that too. So we come to cast our crowns. We come to be changed. And finally, as I began this lesson with, we come to join what heaven is doing. I want to be a part of what's going on in heaven right now. I want to join in the saints who have gone before me. Uh, so that's what we do as well. We join in on the chorus of what they are always doing. I'm so glad you spent a few minutes with me today. Um, next week's lesson, we have two left and next week's is going to be on upholding social righteousness. So those are big words. We'll talk about them next week. Until then, peace.